So we've got two today. So the first one's of Ezekiel, chapter 34, 1 to 16. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally, so that they scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd, and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths. And it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep, And have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will make shepherd the flock with justice. That's the first reading. The second reading will be coming from Luke. Okay, so Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. 
He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today's salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Thank you, Michael. Well, good morning. It's great to, uh, to be with you this morning and to open God's Word together. Uh, even in this, uh, this crazy heat, I hope you're uh, surviving. I should say, if anyone is, is just feeling a little bit overwhelmed by the heat, um, I mean, like, you just need to be somewhere else. The, the uh, canteen is, uh, is air-conditioned. Um, you don't all have to rush for the canteen right this second, but um, there, just, it's good to know there is that option. Uh, we're, we're rewarding the kids by sending them to an air-conditioned classroom. We're rewarding those who sit at the front, apparently, by, uh, by uh, putting fans there. Uh, but let's, let's pray and uh, ask that God would help us as we uh, come to consider his word. Our Father, we, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would speak to us now, that you would shape us according to your will. Father, we pray that we would have hearts that are like your heart, and we ask that this would show itself in the way that we live our lives. Uh, please speak to us now, we pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's, uh, it's January 27. The uh, holiday season is, is almost over. Uh, for those connected with schools, uh, the school year is about to begin, or I know for some teachers it's already begun. And uh, I mean, we're still kind of clinging to the last remnant of, uh, of the holiday season with a, a bonus public holiday tomorrow. Uh, and some, no doubt, of our number are making the most of the long weekend. Uh, but it's, it's that kind of time of year, isn't it, where, where, where things are starting to, to, to ramp up again. Uh, we're back to work, back to school. The routine starts to, to build and we, we find ourselves being sort of pulled this way, pulled that way. And, and with things piling up and, and there's too much to do than can be done, I thought in the midst of that it'd be good for us just uh, at this, as, as we, we get into the year, to take some time over the next couple of weeks uh, to hear from God's Word about what's important about what really matters, and uh, to consider, well, what are the core things that we should be on about as Christians, and what are the core things we should be on about as a church? And so that's what we're going to do uh, starting today and over the next four weeks, where uh, we'll be looking at a four-week topical series where we'll, we'll look at various bits and pieces of the Bible, we'll jump around a bit, uh, but we're going to focus on uh, what, is our, what are our four core strategies as a church and as individual Christians. Now, if you've been around our church for a while, uh, you will be familiar with, um, with our four strategies, our four S's. Uh, but I, I think that there can be a difference between maybe being familiar with them or even knowing them. I could test you. Who knows what the four S's are? And I won't test you. But there can be a difference between... Well, you might be able to read them if it's not too small. But there can be a difference between knowing them and actually doing them and actually living them out in your life. And so I thought it'd be good for us to, to think through what does it mean uh, to be a disciple of Jesus and what does that look like? What are, we, what are our core uh, priorities and strategies as a church and as individuals? And I hope that, that that's, that'll help us as we face this, this coming year, as we uh, face the various commitments and uh, pressures and demands that are placed upon us. 
Well, we start uh, with the story, which Michael's just read for us, of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, the tax collector. And it's a, it's a great story. I think it's a, a favourite of children's uh, Bible storybooks. You know, the little, little guy up the tree, it's, it's got all the, you know, the makings of a good story. It'd be good for, you know, kids, kids' church stories or kids' spot. You know, you could have a reenactment with someone, you know, short climbing a tree and Jesus comes by and, and he comes down, he goes, Jesus goes to his house and it's a great story. People use it in all sorts of different ways to draw all sorts of different lessons from the story. Maybe it's uh, Jesus is interested in short people. And so if you're vertically challenged, you should take heart. Jesus is interested in short people. Or people might say, well, you know, this shows us that Jesus is interested in people who are excluded in society. And we presume that Zacchaeus was excluded because he, well, he was a tax collector, which meant that he'd sort of sold himself out to the Romans who's collecting money from his own people to give to uh, their oppressive um, uh, uh, the Romans who were lording it over them, uh, he wouldn't have fitted in their society. And so the moral story is, well, if you don't fit in, if you're excluded, take heart. Jesus is interested in people like you. Uh, or other people might use it as an example of faith in action. You know, Zacchaeus, he responded to Jesus. He accepted Jesus and he, t- he took action. He gave half of his money away to the poor. And he repays people that he's cheated. He writes the wrongs that he's committed. And uh, people may draw moral lessons from this story about how we should respond in faith like Zacchaeus. Or maybe others would point to, the, uh, to this story and say, oh, it teaches us of Jesus' concern for the poor, for Jesus' concern for justice and, and relieving the poor. And I'm sure some have taken it that way. They're just some applications that people take from this story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. But they're not the applications that I'm interested in. And in fact, I don't think that they're the applications of, that, that Luke intended by uh, recording this, this account in his gospel. Uh, what's interesting about this account of Zacchaeus is what it says at the end. Look there in verse 9, it says this, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Now, what puzzles me there is why is Abraham mentioned? And and what's what's he got to do with Zacchaeus being saved? I mean, that's the reason that's given. I mean, Jesus saved Zacchaeus not because he was short, not because he was a social outcast, not because he wanted to feed the poor but because Zacchaeus was a son of Abraham. Now, if that seems a bit strange, if that puzzles us, and I think what that says to us is we need to actually take a step back and we need to understand this within the, the, the bigger picture of the Bible. What does it mean that he was a son of Abraham? Well, it means that he was uh, an Israelite. He was one of God's chosen people. Abraham was the great father of the nation of Israel. You may know that that started way back in Genesis 12 where God made a promise to Abraham and that promise then formed the framework of the unfolding story of the Bible. God promised three things. He promised him descendants, that he'd make him into a great nation. He promised to give him a land and he promised to bring blessing to him and his descendants and indeed through to the world through him. Blessing to a world that is lost. 
to a world that is turned from God. And that promise to Abraham and and the fulfillment of that promise, that that forms the storyline of the Bible. God is on a mission to seek out and to save his people, to bring blessing to his people, to people who are lost. And we see that throughout the scriptures. We see that that unfolding, that mission of God, uh, that reading from Ezekiel that uh, Michael read for us. Uh, We see it there that God spoke through the prophet Ezekiel and God said that he's going to come and be like a shepherd to his people, to his lost and scattered sheep. Uh, Listen here to to Ezekiel uh, 34. It says, God says, I will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. You see that God has this, this heart for his people, his heart for people who are lost. He seeks them out. He saves the lost. And that's how Jesus explains his mission. He seeks out and saves the lost. He says to Zacchaeus, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus sought out people like Zacchaeus. Uh, what makes Zacchaeus lost? Uh, we're not told very much about Zacchaeus. We are told he was wealthy. He's a chief tax collector. He's regarded by other people as a sinner. His response indicates that his wealth may not have been gained uh, honestly. He has wrongs that need to be righted. But Zacchaeus is lost. He's at a distance from God. He, he needs to be saved. He needs to be brought back into relationship with God. And that's what Jesus came to do. That's why he came into this world. John 3, verse 17, the verse after that most famous verse, John 3, 16. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Notice, for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God, the creator of this world, loves the people of this world, this world that has turned its back on him. And so he sent his son on a mission to save the world. Jesus was sent to seek and to save people who were lost. And so when Jesus was here, he hung out with people who many would have said were lost, often people who were, whose reputations went before them. He hung out with sinners. He hung out with tax collectors like Zacchaeus. In fact, Jesus was, was renowned for this, such that uh, a few chapters earlier in Luke 15, we read of some of the criticisms. You can turn back if you've got your Bible open, Luke 15, or it's on the screen. Uh, we read that now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He was criticised for hanging out with these lost people. And the the respectable religious folk didn't like it. They criticised him. So what did Jesus do then? Well, he, he taught them. He taught them of God's heart for lost people. Uh, Jesus told three stories you may be familiar with Luke 15. If you're not, have a read of it later. Uh, the first story is the story of the lost sheep. 
where the shepherd leaves the 99 and he goes after the one lost sheep, searches for that one lost sheep until he finds it. And then he, having found his lost sheep, he throws a party and celebrates because his lost sheep is, has been found. And Jesus draws the point. He says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Then he tells a second story, the story of the lost coin. In a similar way, a woman searches long and hard until she finds her lost coin. And then she celebrates with her friends. And Jesus says, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. God celebrates and rejoices over the lost one who's found. And then the third story, the story of the lost son, or more correctly, the story of the two sons. Uh, many of you will know the story that the, the son uh, takes his father's inheritance. He takes it early before his father's died. He's effectively saying, drop dead, dad, give me your money. He re- walks away from his father. He goes to a distant land and squanders his wealth on prostitutes and parties, and he ends up at the bottom of the heap where he wakes up to himself and decides that he'll, he'll go home and hope that his father will at least just allow him to become one of the servants. But instead, when he gets there, he experiences the extravagant, abundant grace and compassion of his father who welcomes him in, who celebrates. The father who says, let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It's a beautiful, wonderful picture of the compassion and grace of God. The Father who seeks and saves the lost. Well, who is lost? We all are left to ourselves. I mean, that's, that's us on our own without Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 puts it like this. It says, this is what you were like before you knew Christ. It says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, notice, without hope and without God in the world. Without God, without hope, lost. I wonder if we see it this this clearly I wonder if we think that people without God well it can be easy to think well they're not exactly lost I mean they're just a bit distracted now they've just got other priorities just got other values their their lives are just kind of a little bit out of alignment not lost just not as good as they could be it can be easy to see things that way but it's certainly more politically correct to see things that way than to say that actually if you don't know God, then you're lost. But political correctness aside, the Bible tells us that without Christ, we and the people of this world are without hope, facing the just condemnation of God because of, the, of our, their rejection of him. The Bible puts it plainly in John three eighteen. It says, whoever believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned. Wonderful words of assurance and hope. 
But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Friends, we must see it this clearly, that we stand condemned if we refuse to believe in the name of Jesus, that the people of this world around us stand condemned if they refuse to believe in the name of Jesus. We must see this clearly. And we must see that, praise God, that's not where it ends because Jesus has come to rescue, to seek out the lost, to save them. See, why did Jesus come? It wasn't to just somehow improve people's lives. It wasn't to inspire people to better living. It wasn't to instruct people in how to be successful in life. Jesus came to save people from being eternally condemned, lost. Jesus' name means God saves, God rescues. That's why he's called Saviour, because he's come on a mission to save. Acts 14 verse 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And as Jesus said, as Jesus taught in Luke 15, every time a person turns back to God, and accepts Jesus as Saviour and follows him, there is rejoicing in heaven. God our Father throws a party and welcomes us home. God has a big heart for the lost. He's seeking and saving the lost. Now I don't know where each and every one of us here this morning is before God. Uh, And so my first question for you is, have you come home to God? Have you come home to God your Father, or are you still lost? Are you without God, and therefore without hope in the world? Jesus is the way back to God. He is the way to forgiveness. He is the way to relationship with God. If that's you, let me urge you to stop keeping your distance from God. Come home. Your Father God is waiting for you. How do you do that? Well, talk to God about it in prayer. Talk to him. Admit your need for forgiveness. Thank him for sending Jesus to save you. Hand over your life to him to to be your Lord, your saviour, to trust and follow him. If you want to understand more of what does that mean and how do I do that, come along to Explaining Christianity starting Thursday week. But secondly... If you have come home, which, I, which I, I would be the case for most people here, let me ask, do you share your father's heart? In Jesus' story there in Luke 15 of the two sons, the, the oldest son didn't share his father's heart. He didn't care about his brother. He, he was like the religious leaders of the day. He didn't care about the tax collectors and sinners that Jesus was mixing with. And that challenges us, doesn't it? I mean, what about us? Are we like him? Do, or do we share our Father's heart for the lost? Do we want people to be saved? If we have found God's grace and compassion ourselves, how can we not want that for others? And the wonderful thing is that God actually calls us 
to join him in his mission, to imitate him, to be like him, to likewise have a heart for the lost. In uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, at the end of a a big long section, he's talking about uh, whether or not to eat meat that's been sacrificed to an idol. And we might read that and think, gee, what's that got to do with us? That's pretty far removed from our situation. But then at the end of that, he gives this overarching principle, the thing that drives him in life. He says, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. Notice what, what does Paul seek? Not his own good, but the good of many Namely, that they be saved. And then he says, next verse, follow my example, as I follow the example of Christ. To be a Christian is to be a disciple of Jesus, to follow Jesus, to be like him, to seek the good of many that they may be saved. That's what our Lord and Master did. He, he set aside his own interests, his own good. He sacrificed himself to the point of death. He took the condemnation of God that we deserve. He sought the good of many that they may be saved. And where to follow his example. Whatever way we can, whether big or small, we are to seek the salvation of the lost. As I said, over these um, first four weeks of this term, as we kick off the year, we're we're thinking about our core strategies as, as a church and as individuals. And this first part is to seek the lost to follow the example of Paul as he follows the example of Christ to seek the salvation of others. How can we do that? Well, that passage in 1 Corinthians 10, you can have a read of it later, but it it teaches us to remove stumbling blocks by becoming like the people that we want to reach. And so Paul would gladly have a meal with an unbeliever without worrying about whether or not the food was unholy for him to eat. He removed that stumbling block in order that the people he was with would hear of Jesus. What does that look like in our situation? Well, firstly, I think it means about being intentional, about contacting and connecting with people. Uh, Jesus was certainly intentional in seeking out Zacchaeus. Paul was intentional in sacrificing his own interests in seeking the good of others? How will we be intentional in seeking out people who don't yet know Jesus? See, I'd be surprised if there are any Christians here this morning who, who don't want other people to become Christians. I mean, we, we want that. We, we know that's right. We know that that's what's best. We want that for other people. And yet, how will that happen? Uh, now God is God and He can work in any way that he wishes. But he usually chooses to work through his people prayerfully sharing his word with others. Uh, And in order to share his word with others, we actually need to have some sort of contact with others. Once upon a time, Christians uh, had, had that contact with people by simply having a church and opening the doors and many people would just come in. Uh, that may still occasionally happen. You know, sometimes people do just randomly come along. But by and large, we live in a time where that's not the case. We can't just expect people will come to us. We need to go to them. We need to seek them out. We need to be intentional in praying for people, in contacting them, in building connections with them so that, so that we can not just in, 
invite them to church, but more importantly, we can share God's word with them and point them to Jesus. Uh, That means, to do that, we need to sacrifice our own good for the good of others, that they may be saved. Uh, So often as uh, we Christians, I think we, we don't do this. And I'm as guilty of this as anyone. I think it'd be really easy for us to just stick to our own family, our own Christian friends, and to, to not reach out, to not seek the lost, because it's, it's easier, it's more comfortable. It's nice to be with people who are like me. But friends, the compassion of God, the love of God, the example of Jesus, the example of Paul, they call on us, they compel us to reflect our Father's heart, to seek not our own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. So let me ask you, who are, the, um, who are you seeking to, to, to contact, to connect with? Uh, maybe neighbours, like literal physical neighbours, people who live near you. Uh, maybe people you meet through sport. People through school or people at work. Uh, Maybe it's people on the the fringe of our our various church uh, ministries. Maybe it's fellow kids club parents or youth group parents. Where are the contact points where you can build relationships with people? How can you be more intentional in doing that? I know we can feel very time poor and all sorts of good and right things crowd this out. But if it's important, we'll make time. And the most important thing to make time for and to do is to pray. Pray pray for specific people and ask God to save them because if he does, if they're saved, it's because God has chosen to do that. So pray and pray for specific people. And pray for opportunities for ourselves to, to connect with people, to share God's word with them in some way, to, to point them towards Jesus. Our God is a gracious and compassionate God and he is on a mission to the people of this world. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. He calls on us to come home and he calls on us to follow his example, to, like him, to seek the lost and to bring them to salvation through Jesus. So two questions. Will you come home? Will you follow his example? Um, Over these coming weeks, as we think through these core strategies, uh, I think it would be great for us to reflect on our own lives and to, to commit ourselves to serving God. Uh, So maybe sometime today or over the coming weeks, stop and think about how you are seeking the lost and how you can do that better. Let's pray. Our Lord God, our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that you are a God of compassion, that you seek and save the lost people like us. Our Father, we thank you and praise you. We thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, that we would not face the just condemnation that we deserve, but that through trusting in his death for us, 
we would be saved. Father, please help us to see people as you see them and please help us to love people as you love them. Please move us, increase our prayerfulness for people. And Father, please give us opportunities to seek the lost, that through Jesus they might be saved. And we ask this in his name. Amen.